It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. I'm Colm. Yeah, Colm, you've not been on the podcast for a while and you've chosen a great, great day to come back for it. I mean, you missed all the good stuff, right? Beating City, beating Barcelona, winning the League Cup and uh, you've come back for the absolute nightmare scenario of a heavy, heavy defeat at Anfield. Uh, Obviously, we're going to be talking about that game and, yeah, trying to move on from that game as soon as we can and see what else we can talk about. But, yeah, look, we do have to talk about it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we definitely do, and there's a lot to talk about in it. Um, I, I miss the good football, but for me, you know, the good podcasting is is when the bad results happen. We all know this. That's when that's when lessons are up, and that's when everyone wants to, you know, enjoy the misery together and get through it. So I think people kind of, or I certainly do anyway, I kind of seek this stuff out. I actually probably consume as much or more United content when it's been bad as to when it's been good because I guess it just uh, it just kind of hits you more and you just focus on it more it's harder as you say to shake off so hopefully you know after a bit of a chat today we can start to leave that behind for this week and I'm sure we'll have something in, in the games that come up anyway that can uh, kind of take it away from us but there's definitely a lot to think about since um, the other night. Yeah, I mean, I know in the past, and you know, especially last season, we had a lot of podcasts like this, and we called it kind of group therapy, and uh, actually always often made me feel better. I mean, uh, we're recording this in the evening on Monday, so we've had more than a whole day to dwell on that result. I mean, I'm, I assume you're, like me, I've been getting pelters from all around, you know, I'm in different WhatsApps with different football matches I play in, people I haven't heard from for years and years, all of a sudden come out the woodwork and, uh, you know, I guess that's all part of the football banter. But, you know, if I look at Red Cafe, there's kind of two schools of thought after this game. One is that, like, you know, this is absolutely, obviously, the most horrendous moment and our whole season is going to be defined by this and whatever, whereas others are saying, look, it's just one game. Uh, I mean, yeah, where are you on that? I mean, I am I am so I'm so weirdly OK with this result. It, it really didn't bother me as much as it should have or as much as it has other people, I'm sure. Um, it really it's barely phased me. I actually found it more like comedy than normally I would get so angry and so upset it would live with me for the week you know I'd be annoyed thinking about it all the time and then you keep you know then you get all the reminders on Instagram all the reminders on Redcap, all the reminders on the WhatsApp and you see 
awful other fans in real life and you get reminded but but this one's kind of washed over me because i had such an expectation that this game was going to go horribly wrong for reasons that we will discuss so i'm like i'm pretty serene about it like yes it was a travesty yes it was unprofessional yes it was awful it's just it's but it's almost so awful that it's easy for me to write it off you know um i think i think i can deal with this one pretty easily you know I mean, I guess it all depends what happens from here, which is how, you know, how it defines how much this result yeah. means. Um, but I mean, look, I watched this in the pub, which is the worst place to be yeah, on a bad awful. result. You know, you're better at home on your own with I nobody mean, Nick, to bother you. I've, I've, we're just in the process of moving house and I, I just I was getting things set up. I listened to this game on the radio, which was such a novel experience because I, I never listen to games on the radio. I can always watch the game. Um, uh-huh. So it was, it was really odd. And uh do you know, I listened to the full first half on the radio and it was okay. Sometimes the radio is good because it's it's kind of nostalgic and it's there's a bit it's kind of you know you have to use your imagination and kind of you know see it through the commentator um, descriptions. So it's kind of a different kind of thing. But um, then you know the second half started and it was just I was just laughing. It was hilarious to me, you know. But I think that's also part of it. I've then gone and watched obviously the the game back of the extended highlights and it's tougher to watch. It was easier to listen to the travesty than it is to watch it. I think, but certainly the pub is not the place you want to be. I mean, was it a United pub or was it just a, a mixed pub? No, it was it was uh, mixed. There was United uh, fans in there. There was Liverpool fans in there. Then uh, there was plenty of, like, you know, I live in London, so there was plenty of Arsenal and whatever other fans who were just laughing at us as well. So, yeah, it was difficult to take. And, yeah, most of the friends I'm watching it with, well, all of them, none of them are United fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them are actually Liverpool fans, to be fair, but they Doesn't still matter. seem to yeah. take... Doesn't yeah, really yeah, matter. they yeah. still take great, you know, they're your eight, typical ABUs. I mean, uh, there's, I don't know, a Sheffield Wednesday fan, a Bolton fan who will have, you know, have very little probably to laugh at us for. But yeah, they still do anyway. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it made it extra difficult. And then, yeah, I stayed in there till right till the end, even though, yeah, some people did leave early right till the end. And then, yeah, um, like I said, yeah, drowned my sorrows. But yeah, look, you touched on it there. It was not a game that we were outplayed in for the whole 90 minutes. No. I mean, far from it. Like, if you looked at this game at half time, I actually thought we were unlucky to be 1-0 mm-hmm. down. I mean, I think we probably had the better chances in the first half and they scored with their only shot on target in that first half. I mean, that first half at best, like, well, at worst for us, I guess, was even. And I said, you know, there's even a pretty good argument that we were better in that first half. Yeah, I think the first half was funny in that I didn't think... We started well. I thought we looked sluggish. I thought we looked slow. I thought they were much more physical and were kind of slightly more in control of the game. However, we looked more threatening. You know, they had the the winning of it in midfield, definitely. That midfield three, we couldn't really compete. And then we just started kind of bypassing that. And it quickly went into quite a frenetic. Well, it was frenetic from the start. It was just a game of pinball. It was scrappy. It was very physical and it was it just looked like we were super tired from the start but having said that i agree first half we were absolutely in the game i thought you know there's the bruno chance there's the rashford chance there's the anthony save from allison you know we we had every right to feel a little hard done by being one nil down even though i would say liverpool edged it in the first half i think over you know in terms of control and pressure we had as good as if not better chances and the first half was acceptable it wasn't good it wasn't vintage but away at Anfield you know that was essentially the the chat going up to the sort of 44th minute or 42nd minute whenever that goal went in so um that that definitely 
you know, helps me tackle it mentally because for me it's an anomaly. It's a bit of an oddity. It's a very odd game. But I think there's some very logical, understandable reasons why that game went the way it did. Although it should never have got to seven, obviously. But the first half, you couldn't complain, really. And as you say, that makes it easier. It wasn't just that we got absolutely played off the park for 90 minutes, totally embarrassed by a better team. Well, we were totally embarrassed, but not by a better team and not for 90 minutes. I think that's sort of fair to say. Yeah, absolutely not. As I say, that first half, we were okay, probably as well as we've played at Anfield for a while, because we have not had a good record there at all. I mean, we have, of course, we did beat Liverpool at Old Trafford early in the season, and that kind of kick-started our season at the time. But yeah, I mean, I, I look, how can you explain what happened in that second half? As I say, look, they get a late goal in their first half, you know, Sod's Law, it's Cody Gakpo, who obviously was linked to us, and I think probably he had that little bit extra impetus to do something mm. in this game because he has not been that great. I mean, no. Darwin Nunes as well was one who was linked to us, and same again, has been far from having uh, the best season for the amount of money he cost. Yeah. Um, I think with you, as I said, there was kind of reasons why we might struggle in this game. I mean, you could say that this was way more important for Liverpool than it was for us. Um, I mean, one of my friends had said pre-match, oh, look, you know, there's two six-pointers today because before there was uh, Everton versus Nottingham Forest. And I said, well, mm. look, this is not really a six-pointer for us, this game. I mean, we're 10 points ahead of Liverpool. It's, like, it's, I mean, all right, it's an important game as United versus Liverpool always is, but I don't call this a six-pointer at all because we're way ahead of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I said, it meant more for them than for us. Yeah, I completely agree on that front. And I think you're right. I mean, you know, if we if we now fall apart and Liverpool go on unbelievable form and they haul us in and finish third, then people will say it's a six-pointer, but it's still not true. You know, it was just a big game and a big moment where we didn't, you know, where our season fell apart. I don't think that's going to happen. But as of now, it's not a six-pointer for us. And that's totally correct. People wanted it to be a six-pointer. You know, people want that to be the narrative in terms of Liverpool on the up and United having done so well for so many months now. You know, post-World Cup, probably the best team in England, you know, at least, you know, the figures sort of show that, even if it's not, you know, the eye test. And people don't necessarily love that, obviously. That's totally fine. That's totally acceptable. So people will be licking their lips, obviously, and we will all be kind of, oh, God, is that the bubble burst? Is this, you know, an Ole moment where we play well for a long time and then, you know, it falls apart? I really, really, really don't see that. But I totally agree. The game was massive and perfectly timed for Liverpool. You know, a, a team like that, a manager like Klopp, the quality they have, there's only so long you could be bad for. And they'll probably go back to being bad, you know, against, you know, Forrest this season. They will have other blips. I don't think they'll now go on a march. You know, I think they'll be better in this um, other remaining portion of the season. But I don't think they'll suddenly fix all their issues. But they're still a good team. And, you know, really it is like a cup final to them, that game. That is the big game to get back on track, to put down a statement, to say something. And the first half was still pretty competitive. And then, I mean, the goals that went in, Nick, were just, you know, freakish, many of them. But that was it. You know, huge game for them, huge momentum. And when that second goal went in, the the switch just went, you know. And on the other side of it being a huge game for them, I think mentally this game was close to gone for us, even before the first whistle. I think we have, in the last three, four weeks, played a series, first of all, a lot of games, but secondly, a lot of big games. You've had Barca two legs. You had the cup final. You have other big games in there against big teams. And we're yeah, kind the of... Yeah, Derby against Manchester Derby, City. Exactly. You've got City. You've got, you know, a sniff of a title race. A lot of big pressure moments where we have 
delivered and delivered and delivered and delivered. And there are some teams, some seasons, who can do that for the entire year. It looks like Arsenal are maybe going to have that kind of year. City often, you know, in recent memory, have that kind of year. But that's, you know, those are the the best teams in any year kind of thing. And we are not that at the moment. We are looking like we're maybe on the path and, and maybe a lot closer than we thought we would be in this first season. But we are still not that team. We have been overperforming, I think. So for me, the team mentally just just had looked at that game and thought, that's not as important as the other ones. That's not as important as the City game. That's not as important as the final. That's not as important as Barca. And when you make that little decision in your mind, that's all it takes. That one, two, three, four percent drop off means you are just willing when it gets tough, when you have to do the hard running, when you have to be super motivated. There's this little voice in the back of your head that says, This one's this one's one too many, and it's not actually a big game for us. It's not actually an important game for us. There's daylight between us and them. There's daylight between us and Newcastle, you know, increasingly. So, you know, it's just not as important. And when you make that adjustment mentally, things like things like Sunday can happen because you're already half there. Yeah, I mean, of course, it was a big change in one week. You know, just one week before we were at Wembley celebrating winning the first cup for a few years. Uh, you know, we said on this podcast last year that, yeah, enjoyed it a lot more than we might have done in years past when we didn't take the League Cup as seriously. I've also been banging on on this podcast for weeks and weeks now about fixture overload and how I didn't think our squad was quite up to dealing with the amount of games we were currently playing. Uh, I was thinking as well that Ten Hag needed to rotate more. And to be fair, he actually did in that West Ham game midweek. He mm-hmm. kind of did the most rotation he's done pretty much all season where there was about four or five changes. But he then did have to bring on Rashford. He did have to bring on Casemiro when we were losing that game to turn it around and see it out in the end. So it's not like they had a full rest. Um, And yeah, you know, I'd been saying before that it would not be the end of the world if we went out of one of these cups because I did not want to be risking our kind of top four place at all. Uh, But uh, yeah, like you say, maybe we're looking relatively comfortable there. I mean, even after this result, we are still seven points ahead of Liverpool, who are now the favourites for getting that last top four spot. But Mm -hmm. they are going to have a fight with Spurs. Maybe Newcastle can have a resurgence, although it looks like they'd kind of, you know, outperformed in the first half of the season and are slightly struggling now. Um, But yeah, that is the fight as it goes on there. I mean, the other point you said was that everything kind of ran for them in this second half, right? If we look at like the XG... Watch the goals. Watch the goals. They're, you know, they're ridiculous, some of them. Yeah, absolutely. And like the the XG for Liverpool is 3.4 versus 0.85 for us. Um, So, all right, we should have lost this game. We did not do well. We did not deserve to get any points out of it. But XG is looking at kind of, you know, them deserving three, maybe four goals and us probably deserving one. Um, But yeah, everything just ran for them, fell perfectly. Like, you know, that fourth Salah goal where it's just kind of bumping around and just falls literally perfect for him just to lash it in. And a couple of other as well, like clearances where just ricochets into the right place. uh, Not for us. But yeah, I mean, it did just go all for them in this game. Uh, Darwin has a header off the back of his head. He did not score another one like that for a long time. Both Sal goes, the ball's bobbling around, hitting Scott McTominay on the arse in the face eight different times, and it just lands in the perfect path for him to smash it in off the crossbar. Gakpo's, to be fair, two very good finishes, two very good goals, but the mm. defending is so bad, it's so lazy. You know, that's something we'll obviously come on to, but the, the goals in general, the game, again, it wasn't dominated by Liverpool. They were physical 
and difficult to play against. They made it a basketball game and then they were super clinical and created, you know, enough moments to score seven goals. You know, credit to them. You can't can't take it away. They absolutely thrashed us. You know, it's not to it's not to kind of make excuse or to take away from the achievement of beating a team like Manchester United or any, you know, quote unquote top team, seven nil. However, those some of those goals will never happen again and that kind of game just will not happen again. And um, you would hope in that way, you know, I think, you know, even recent games where we've been beaten, you know, four five, six goals have been worse in terms of being more convincing and more dominant, you know, than that game, which was truly just like a basketball game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, wh- so, yeah, look, you said obviously some awful defending, but where do you put most of kind of the blame for this second half? Uh, is there particular players or just a total group failure? Well, uh, definitely total group failure. I have to say, I I put a, a smidgen of blame on Ten Hag first of all because I think okay, I think he could have done something different in this game. I think you know he's gotten very samey with the team that plays, and I understand like Fred has been in exceptional form. You know, goal involvements. You know, his his busyness. Casemiro is obviously so vital. The front three. You know, I just think. I question why Sabitzer hasn't played more a little bit to alleviate some of that stress and to give us something a little bit more difficult, a little bit more physical, a little bit more controlled in the middle. I think a three in midfield, you know, a proper three would have been better. I would have liked to see us just try and keep it tight and, and, and sort of sit in a wee bit almost. But we seem to have gotten into this mode over the last, you know, 10 games or so. You know, we saw it against Leicester, we saw it against West Ham of just going full throttle in every game, you know, attack versus defence and and being a real... I mean, we clearly are a team that wants to play in transitions. We want to open up that space for Rashford and our forwards. And and I think Ten Hag spoke after about how we were really poor in the defensive transitions as if, you know, it was our plan to, to be in those transitions, but just to do it much better. And I don't mind that, but I would like to see us exercise some more control. And I think a little bit of a different look in terms of formation or personnel, like Sabitzer coming in, um, would maybe help us do that possibly so that, that would be the only slight criticism i have which is so slight because again nick i'm still i'm see even after sunday i'm on cloud nine give me you know our position in the league and a league cup win and beating bars over two legs i will happily get thumped by liverpool you know in exchange for those things i, I still think it's extremely trite and and sort of small-minded to focus on this results in a, in a way that you know overshadows all of that good stuff that we've had the last you know number of weeks and months and in terms of the team definitely definitely group failure however i would single out luke shaw dallow and bruno and i would also say although i don't necessarily think it's fault that casimir was also absolutely terrible but i think that's just pure tiredness um, i think actually casimiro took like quite a bad knock in like about 10 it was like about 10 15 minutes in and i don't think he was then 100 percent really after there. that yeah um and i think that was definitely part of it we also heard pre-game that there was late fitness tests on varan and shaw so again yeah, i don't know yeah. if they were 100 percent, but they did play the whole game so you maybe yeah, say suggest yeah, that but, they are but. well exactly and that comes down to the individual players and the manager and you know that's for them to make that decisions if you say yes i'm okay to play and you play through you know they were able to run at the end of the day. You know, they were able to make good decisions, not bad ones. I mean, like, you know, for that first goal, I, I was surprised at how Varane got totally ripped by Gatpo. Uh, you know, he's normally the most classy, assured 
going in the right place at the right time. I mean, all right, a lot, a lot of credit to Gakpo for the kind yeah. of cotton shot. But I was a bit surprised at how Varane, you know, it's not normal for him to be sold no, like it's that. it's not. But then I have to say, you could say sold. I would take kind of the opposite view in that I think he, in that position, is has an impossible, not an impossible task, but a task that is pretty unfair to ask. And if the, if the, if the attacker does well, which is what Gakpo did, he makes a good decision and makes a good touch to, to come inside. I think at that point, Varane is rushing over to, to stem that, that issue essentially and it's not really his job he, he should be occupying the space he's in but because we get so done down that left flank their left flank with um Dallow and Anthony I think really messing it up I think he has to cover so much ground to get across that he then isn't able to maneuver himself because when you're taking big steps across you can't make those minor adjustments and that is when you get your feet planted and you get absolutely done however I think what, though it looks really bad against him I, I put that solely on on really Dallow and I think it was Anthony ahead of him. Fred might have been involved as well. I can't quite remember, but the the way that sort of cavern of space for I think Andy Robertson able to play the ball through was was kind of developing was was just really bad. And Dallow had several instances where he was not on. I mean, not to say there was much of a wavelength between the back four, but whatever wavelength the other three were on, he was never on it either. You know, setting much deeper, setting too narrow. Just not at the races. I thought both he and Shaw were probably the two two worst players on the park for us with Bruno coming in closely behind. Yeah, I mean, that was the only change I would have made in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, when I put out my lineup, it, I did have Aaron Wan-Bissaka in it. Yeah. I mean, I know that in the past you've been pretty much the biggest critic of Aaron Wan-Bissaka. <laughs> but uh, yeah. where, where are you yeah. at on him at the moment? <laughs> I mean, that's a big topic, obviously, which is nice to have something to focus on. It's just about us and our team um, rather than just talking about Liverpool. But um, I am, I've long felt that Aaron Wan-Bissaka is technically not good enough for Manchester United in his touch and his simple passing and his long passing and his way of developing the ball really into the final third and his crossing and his delivery and stuff like that. Then also I felt, and I still feel, that he is not an all-round good enough defender for Manchester United in that under the high ball, when his back's turned, when people are playing passes around him, i.e. outside of those one-on-one situations and the duels and a physical you know, end-to-end game, he gets found out. Um, I still think that's the case. However... Post-World Cup, Dalo being injured, Aaron Saka has been very good. I would say very good. Really confident in his dribbling, really confident in playing forward. I think playing beside Varane and Martinez and having Casemiro and a more settled team around him, better players in front. Anthony works so hard, who he often plays with. There's still, still not a great link-up in the attacking third, but super solid. Um, you know, we saw how he played with Sancho there um, in the, was it the New Cup, was it the final? Um or was it the Leicester game, I believe, um, just such good, and, and, a, and a sort of a playing with a confidence and a swag that you would not have expected from a fella who's been essentially, you know, dropped out of the team and injured in this in this season so far, um, so he's been really good, there's been a few, there was a few little mistakes, few little goals that you could lay at his door, but nothing really major, nothing really major at all, um, and then Dallow came back, and now they're kind of sharing minutes, and it's a bit awkward, Ten Hag really let it be known, that Dallow was the one he was going to play. I think the better footballer, more important to him and his style. He must be really, really having to think about that at the moment. It's very hard to argue that Aaron Wan-Bissaka should not have started that game and should not be starting most games at the moment. I think we all, when the team sheet came out, would have probably, even myself, you know, the most kind of ardent 
naysayer of Aramon Masaka, I would have rather he started at the weekend just because he's a good, he's in super good form. Dallo hasn't really got up and running again after his injury to that kind of level he was at uh, pre World Cup. For me, the jury's out on both of them, but at the moment, Aramon Masaka is in far better form. And it's, you know, I, I think Dallo has played himself into a fair few weeks on the bench or, you know, demoted to playing the, the, the less important games. Okay, we're going to take a quick break there and come back for the next part of the show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. So, back for part two of the horror podcast. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think generally I'm with you on this. I see a little bit of overreaction, but I do totally understand it. You know, it is Liverpool. They are our biggest rivals. You know, unfortunately, we're probably going to get reminded of this score again and again and again over the years. It is our worst ever Premier League loss. You know, you're going back like 100 years for us to have a result Oof. like that. And it wasn't, yeah, it was 1930 something or another. Oh, and it wasn't against anybody like Liverpool or yeah. any big team either. I think it was like one thing, Black Nick, or something like that. that. I'd, I'd like to ask you is we have seen us, you know, get demolished by Liverpool several times in recent seasons to the tune of four or five goals. We've had six, five, six against City. We've had four against Brentford, you know, other teams that aren't that good. But just in the last, you know, maybe five, six years, maybe post Mourinho, we've seen this team regularly, I mean, once or twice a season at least, get drubbed. Does that, like, we, that just didn't used to happen, you know? And it doesn't ha- really happen to other I know Villa beat Liverpool 7-2, but broadly, it, it shouldn't really happen that frequently, should it? Is that is that like an issue with the squad? I, I felt, clearly wrongly, that with the likes of Casemiro, Varane, you know, Leicha, you know, you kind of expect it from a team with, you know, Maguire, Lindelof, Dallow, Shaw... McTominay, Fred, yeah, that you know Bradford. that's exactly what we pointed yeah. down to in the past, right? Whereas yeah, now, yeah. as you say, we've got Casemiro, Varane. You don't expect that players who are more experienced, players who you know, when you go three nil down, all right, maybe at three nil you're not totally dead in the game. At four nil, the game is more or less done, and you're looking at probably like damage limitation. Um, the players were still kind of going for it a little bit, trying to get a couple of goals back. I guess. I mean, there was that City game. 
earlier in the season. And that's why I kept watching till the end of this game. Because yeah. if you remember, we were like 6-1 and Martial got yeah, two Martial late goals. Yeah, yeah. And gave us like a bit of respectability. In the end, we only lost that game by three, which is kind of okay. Yeah, it's not yeah. like horrific. But yeah, it's not the first time. I mean, I was at Brentford away at the start of the season when we were mm. three, you know, four nil by like half time. Um, this team has unfortunately had a bit of like a track record for complete capitulation. Um, I mean, at the same time, I'd say when we went 1-0 down, I still felt pretty confident. You know, we'd gone behind to Barcelona. We'd gone behind last week to West Ham. We've we've done, we've done it often and come back this season. But there's something that goes on when we go kind of two or three goals where then there seems to be a high likelihood of just getting absolutely obliterated. Um, I don't know why. I don't know. I've said in the past that a lot of that comes down to on-pitch leadership. Yeah. And, you know, I do see at the moment on Red Cafe, there is a thread. Again, you know, it's been a constant question in who should be our captain. Yeah. And then, you know, the thread says, if it's not Bruno, who should it be? Yeah. Uh, and all right, there is a few contenders. I mean, I'd still say it's a little bit early for the likes yeah. of Casemiro and Martinez. Martinez. Yeah. Maybe Varane has, he's in the second season. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, we, we, we've said time and time again, we don't have such great options on who is our captain. And for me, that does come down to on-pitch leadership. And that's yeah. where a player like Bruno is not the right one. He's not the right kind of calm head to say, listen, lads, let's just not make this any worse. Let's yeah. stop them. We don't want to get embarrassed. Like this game is gone. Let's just see it out now. Yeah, I think calm head isn't even necessarily what you what you always need. I think like when you say about Varane as captain, I think too calm. You know, I think not. You know, I, I just I wonder is 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 he doing enough as a captain? But um, with Bruno and and it's you know it's such a it's shone a light on Bruno. You know because Bruno for the last few seasons obviously had his breakout season and just crazy numbers, and then there's been a, a natural cooling off of that kind of output. And now he's kind of discovering a slightly different role where he just doesn't stat pad maybe as much, um, but still obviously a totally vital player. However, there's always this thing with Bruno where you know he could do 10 goals and 20 assists in a season, but because of the amount of times he gives the ball away and because of the amount of times he feigns injury and because of the amount of times he yaps at the ref, there's some people who will never value him really and always think we should move on from him and have someone else. Um, because... And, and understandably to a point you know you can be put off a player sometimes just by you know even the most productive player the most helpful player you can start to just not even see the good that they're doing because when there's consistently the same bad things over and over it just noise you i think the exact same thing happened with rashford in the last few years where everyone knew his potential everyone knew he had quality but he was just seeing the same mistakes and the same frailties over and over again and, and, and at some point a lot of fans just go I'm kind of done with this and I've had enough and I think Bruno's kind of in that territory I personally completely disagree I think he's been unbelievable for us and I'm quite happy to overlook some of the bad tendencies I think there's an element there that it's like it's you know you have tenacious players you have hard players you have fiery players like a Roy Keane um other you have then you have like a granite jacker who it can kind of go all a bit weird and annoying as well bruno's like the far end of that scale where he's tr he's kind of his fieriness leads to complete petulance and complete mm. shithousery you know a bit of the ander herrera's but ander herrera was much more kind of could i say noble in it you know much more admirable in it, much more snidey and it, it was kind of better it seemed better bruno just comes off as ratty you know it's hard to describe there's no good words you can use you know and 
Sunday was just like peak, absolute peak, where I just think he completely lost the run of himself. I think he was so frustrated. He was trying so hard and everything just went wrong. And then his reaction to that was so poor. I mean, some of the body language, some of the, you know, whether he was asking to be subbed, whether he was shouting at other players, you know, there's a way to do it. And when you're rolling around, feigning injury and all the rest of it, it just looks so bad. And, and that will only polarise more on his on his kind of, you know, influence and importance at United, I think, the fan base. Um, so I wonder, I, I, I liked his stint as captain so far. I think he's the most natural fit at the moment. But he is an, an interesting character because he definitely has high standards. He covers unbelievable ground. He plays every game. He plays key passes in every game. He gets assists. He gets goals. I think he is a winner. You know, I think he has that kind of dog mentality. It's just like a wee, yappy, annoying dog that no one likes. And yeah, he has played an absolute ridiculous amount of minutes, as he did under Ole as well. Yeah. It seems he's the one player who doesn't get a rest. Uh, he's also ended up being kind of weirdly some kind of attacking utility player this season. Yeah. Uh, you right know, winger. in the past, he always played number 10. Week in, week out, that was his position. You know, we've seen him many times on the right. And then all of a sudden, in this game, he's basically playing on the left side, which more or less we well, have know, not seen before. Like when you have a 10 like Veghorst, you have to accommodate him, you know? So when you, <laughs> when you bring that level of quality 10 into your club, yeah, I'm sorry, but Bruno, who only has a paltry, you know, 50 goals and however many assists in his United career, you have to move, you know? Obviously, you're saying that tongue in cheek, but yeah, where are you at on this whole weg horse thing? Like because it. I don't like it one I, little bit. I, you know, I, it has been a debate. Like, he does a lot of hard work, he puts yeah. himself about, but he no, likes I like quality. I like, I, I like Vic Horst. I don't like him at 10. I understand, like, I understand he can drop in there as like a foil and do a job but he's just playing there he's not actually ever playing as a striker that's why he's not scoring any goals part of the reason why it's also because he just can't really hit a well anything at the moment but no i like him i i rate him i think for the, the situation you were in with the money we couldn't spend and getting that kind of player in i think he allows other players to play better i think it's no coincidence that we've been on a great run when he's come in rashford has kept scoring and kept scoring and kept scoring because it's all set up for rashford essentially that's basically veghorst's role is to make the game as good as he can for marcus rashford to shine and that's worked really well really really well i think we're over egging the omelette with it to be honest i think he should be allowed to play in his own right a little bit more i think the focus should be a little bit more varied and not just as you know stick him in there his hold up play is not that amazing really he does have a nice pass he does tremendous work you know it's a stopgap i still wouldn't mind seeing him here next year as a second striker just because i just think he'd be delighted it's exactly the profile i think for a sub that Burley plays but you need them you know you need them and you know if someone else gets injured, they can do a job. If we can sign a top nine and we could get Veghorst for, you know, five million or less, I would absolutely do that deal because he has the character, you know, you saw him celebrating and taking a moment after the Newcastle game. It's like a, a dream come true kind of situation. And I think he's useful, but I don't think he's necessarily a 10. I don't think we're necessarily playing it all the best way that we could, you know, and I think he's obviously playing too much minutes, but that's that's a problem that is not his to make you know that's martial's issue that's our squad depth issues that's having loads of wingers and no no strikers no hitmen kind of thing you know but i don't really need to see him playing as an actual 10 
Yeah, it is a bit weird. I mean, he has done well there on a couple of occasions. Generally, I do not like to see him playing there. Um, I do not want to see him here next season. I don't think he's good enough. <laughs> although I do get your kind of point. Yeah. That I mean, I think he played, if he we... played 10, 15 games, do you know what I mean? 10, yeah, games. and he, he will obviously be happy to sit on the yeah, bench. Of course, you know, yeah. He's already ecstatic to be playing at Old Trafford and having this opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, maybe from that perspective as just a kind of squad option, somebody who's experienced uh, can come in from the bench. Yeah, possibly. And possibly, it's something but different, yeah. you know, because we're not going to sign a nine like him. You know, really, um, you're probably quite hard to find a nine like him because he's not really, he's not really like a nine at all at the moment. But um, I just think it could be something different. But I'm not really like I'm not tied to it one one way or the other really. But for now, I'd like to see him play up up top and Marcus to play from the left. You know, he should only be going through the middle as a bit of a last resort. I liked it when Veghorst was coming off the pitch and Marcus was going through the middle and we brought on extra wingers, Garnacho, Sancho, whatever. I, I much prefer that. I think when Weghorst is on the pitch, Marcus should play off the left. Yeah, and I mean, I had made this point on a past podcast that, you know, a lot of players have been moving around a lot. You know, Rashford has played left, he's played up front, he's played on the right. Uh, you know, Sancho's played on the right, he's played in the middle. Bruno's played all those three. Obviously, Weghorst switches between nine and ten. Um, I mean, the flexibility is great, but at the same time, sometimes... You think you just want to have your best players in their best positions, especially for things like going to Anfield. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the positions they know best, they've done best in. Uh, so sometimes maybe a manager can overthink things. Although at the same time, you know, we both said that we thought in the first half we did pretty well. So it wasn't anything like, you know, going the wrong direction from yeah. the start of this game. I thought we, we, we did well in the sense that we created chances, we looked dangerous. I think we're very you know, confident in our attacking threat at the moment. That's what's been so great to see. I I thought we did look tired. It was just the big thing. I think we were mentally and physically done. And I think we a lot of players had decided that this game was too big, you know, to string on to the end of all the other games. And that it was one that could just be given away, basically. And then when it starts to go wrong, I mean, as soon as that second goal goes in and the manner that it goes in, like that, that is the reason for the capitulation, I think, just bobbly bouncy ball everything's against you and bang you know a header from out of nowhere and it's done and, and just the timing of it you know bookending the first half and the second half that's just you just know the game's beyond you at that point a game you'd already sort of given up on or sort of put in a losable box and then when that happens you go yep cool not happening today and then petulance and nonsense and you know, lack of effort and just silliness and bad decisions. I mean, the way Luke Shaw was trying to clear chances for the goals, like all their goals, it's just, it's just crazy. Like we were playing like a pub team, honestly, at that point. It was just complete. No, and it did remind me of, you know, the start of our season where Luke Shaw then did get dropped for a period. Yeah. He's come back in and beat more or less outstanding. Like He's for been most totally weeks. outstanding. He's been totally outstanding. He's been... The best left back and in fact, the world. In fact, while we're on Luke Shaw, yeah, while we're on Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw never gets mentioned as a potential captain. He's been around I mean, a long yeah, time at Manchester but, United. But He's I, obviously an English player. I always mention him because if you think back to some of our worst defeats, worst moments, Luke Shaw comes out after those, gives interviews, and tells the truth. You know, very honest, very accountable. I think. It's just that his form can be a little bit up and down, I suppose. But, I mean, I think he's outstanding. I have no issue with Luke Shaw. I think with lots of players, you're going to get a clangor every now and then. And he's played a lot of football, you know. And, and if he wasn't fit, he wasn't fit. And, you know, and the game, as we say, it's a, it's a team failing. You know, it's 11 players who have decided they're not interested in winning this game or, or acting 
you know, to minimize the damage or still putting in the necessary effort. And he was unfortunately the, the, the kind of most obvious example of that on a lot of occasions. But he was defending against Salah for an absolutely, you know, rabid Liverpool side. So you can have some sympathy there. But I think he would be in the shout for captaincy. But I just don't, I just don't think within the squad he actually would be. He'd do a better job than Harry Maguire, though, I have to say. I think a lot of us are expecting Harry Maguire to leave this club <laughs> in the summer. But yeah. if he's happy to stay as a squad player, I'd be happy for him to stay as a squad player. But mm. I don't know if he would be happy with that. So, yeah, I we will think, see. regardless of what he and you would be happy with, I think uh, the the bits we're hearing about needing... Now, this could be subject to takeover. I don't think that'll save us quite quickly enough. But what we're hearing about our financial situation in the summer, Harry Maguire is probably our biggest asset in terms of a sale. And that for that reason alone, in my opinion, he has to go. So if Ten Hag's been told you have to sell players to buy players, there's Scott McTominay, there's Harry Maguire, and maybe Martial, who you can flog for a decent price. I think it's very difficult, you know, to find too many players out of that. You know, you might be able to get rid of Dallow if you decide you're buying a right back. And um, for a, a good bit of money, I think, you know, a team like Barca have been rumoured before. But Harry Maguire's the big obvious one. There's surely a Premier League club that'll give us 40 or 50 million for him. Newcastle. Um, but yeah look let's round off this game put it in a box forget about it Uh, look I think we're both on the kind of same wavelength here that we have to take a bit of perspective on this game obviously it's horrendous we're obviously going to get reminded about this again and again I mean I'm still getting messages in my whatsapp groups the gifts and the memes you know they're good yeah well yeah yeah they're going to be going around See until Thursday at seven o'clock. Or play mode. Don't worry about <laughs> Turn it. Turn it off till then. Not hearing anything. No, it's not a bad, not a bad way to go. Although, yeah, I'm going to be playing football tomorrow night with two scousers. So yeah. yeah, I cannot avoid this in any way, if even if I wanted to. Um, but yeah, what happens now will basically define what this game actually means. And yeah. if we go out. We're next up. We're playing Real Betis. Uh, we've got Southampton on the weekend, and then Betis yeah. again next week. If we win those three games, if we go through in the Europa, if we beat Southampton, then you know it doesn't mean that much really. Uh, yeah. And as I say, at the moment we are seven points ahead of Liverpool. We're well placed. If we finish above them in the league, if we we've come out with at least one trophy already, uh, you know the bragging rights in the summer will definitely be ours, regardless of that they smashed us. Uh, Anfield. We also beat them at Old Trafford. So yeah, it's three points each um so yeah exactly. as i say the reaction is what will make uh what will show what, us what happens what do you what do you think the reaction will be i, I we're going to win these games now uh i've seen ten hog how he dealt with it uh earlier in the season when we lost to brighton when we lost to brentford he stood up and like he showed what he can do already and he'd only been here at that point for like literally a few weeks and mm-hmm. that he already had the players turning things around at that point i think it's not going to be that difficult for him to turn this around again i completely agree i think if you take the barca you know uh two legs and the cup final and our general trend and momentum i think there's still so much more momentum and and confidence despite that crippling loss you know i just don't see that really i think the players will understand what happened i actually thought you know i thought before the game this is a game too many this is a big game too many this is going to be the one we lose because it's the one that doesn't matter basically i thought that before the game and i was kind of happy enough see if we had been beaten 3-1 or 3-2 and gave a good show i would have actually quietly thought a, a, a loss now is a good thing you know sometimes managers can really use a loss you know use it to refocus use it to make a point use it to kind of draw a line under a a period of games and say 
well, look, we did really well. Let's go back to that. Let's refocus, create a bit of discipline, you know, reinforce a message. Because when you have a team that's winning week in, week out, week in, week out, it's very difficult on Monday to kind of, you know, it's you need to keep the confidence going. But sometimes the best way to do that or to get a reaction is after a loss, you know. And if you're always winning, sometimes you can't really do that. Obviously, you'd rather win. Don't get me wrong. But I did think, you know, in this run of games, if you looked, you know, 10 games ago and thought, what are you happy with? If this was the outcome, take away the 7-0. If this was the outcome, I would have been extremely happy. And I would have thought, you know what? See losing to Liverpool at the end of that run, having won basically all the other games, that might set us up quite well, you know, to, to kind of make a statement, have a have a tough loss and learn from it and refocus and gather ourselves and then kick on for the final third of the season or whatever it is. I, I would kind of have quietly been really pleased with that and really pleased that that would give us a good position to finish the season obviously losing 7-0 is different but I just don't see the players letting that really impact them on Julie my only concern Nick is fixture congestion you know because I think if we had a week off now and played Southampton on Saturday or Sunday whenever it is I'd be like yeah we're gonna spank them and we're gonna go ahead playing now again still you know two games a week for another couple weeks that that could derail it more than the loss if you know what I mean Hey, I know exactly what you mean. As I said, I've been talking about this every single week for about four or five weeks now. Uh, but look, we're going to take another quick break there, come back for the last part of the show where we will talk about our fixtures that are coming up and also talk about the positive side. I mean, uh, in bad times recently that we've had, it's always been looking over at Man United women that can keep things positive again. So yeah, quick break and we'll be back. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we are back for the last part of the show. Uh, Liverpool game put out of our minds. As you said, Colm, fixture overload is a major issue. I previously have said that I wouldn't be that bothered if we went out of the Europa or if we went out of the FA Cup because I just thought we had way too many matches. Now that we've won a domestic trophy as well, we've already kind of you know broken that kind of six-year curse of not having won anything. Mm-hmm. We don't want to start getting dragged back into a top four race, that's for sure, because you know we're looking not comfortable, yeah. but a kind of seven-point gap to Liverpool at the moment is pretty good for us. Um, I mean, where are you at on the importance of the Europa and then the FA Cup and those at the moment? I, I think now looking through Europa, I think you have to take it very, very seriously. I, I would like to see quite heavy rotation events bet us because I think we have to back ourselves as, as the better team to be able to do that. But, you know, just a few people. I wouldn't go wholesale. It'll be interesting to see what he does, obviously, after the Liverpool results because some people might have played themselves firmly onto the bench. After that, I agree. Top four. Top four, top four, top four. If we go out of the FA Cup, you know, we're at a good point in it. But... It's the least of my concerns. One domestic cup is plenty. The Europa, I think, is always just... 
not just a special Champions League, but a European trophy is a European trophy. I do not care. If you're not in the Champions League, the next best thing you can win is the Europa. If you're not winning your own domestic league, that's my view. So I would never treat it as a Mickey Mouse Cup, you know, certainly when you're at this stage, certainly when you're at this stage. So for me... Yeah, I mean, the only thing about the Europa is, of course, double leg ties, travel course, away. how long it is. Yeah, of course. Listen... There's a big party that would rather not be in it. Once you're in it, you're playing the games anyway. You know, I think the best way to play the Europa is to play, you know, huge rotation through the early stages, and then when you get to a certain point, take it as if it's the Champions League. Because if you're playing Barcelona, you're playing Arsenal, you're playing whoever else, <laughs> you're beating good teams to win a trophy in Europe. I'm, I think that's unreal. You know, I think that's unreal. So I would be beyond happy if we finished top four, won the Carabao Cup, won Europa. I think that would set us up for a huge season next year if we bought well um, the FA Cup I mean I'm already going to be happy with top four and the Carabao Cup that's already a, better than I expected exactly so we're, we're in wildest dreams do you know what I mean territory you know so for me top four and a cup is 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 much better than I would have set the standard at you know I would not have said you have to I wouldn't even have said you have to finish top four obviously aims at the start of the season are different to expectations during the season with Chelsea being rubbish, with Liverpool falling off, with Spurs not being that great, with Newcastle being your competition for top four, if I knew that start of season, I'd say, yes, I do expect Ten Hag to get top four. But you never that's never a guarantee. So I agree with you. The season is already, you know, provided we finish top four and nothing else, I'm delighted, delighted. But I would say it's top four, Europa just behind in terms of importance, and then I don't really care about the FA Cup. Yeah, and I mean, Real Betis are actually in pretty good form at the moment. They drew nil-nil with Real Madrid on the weekend. They won their three La Liga games before that. They sat in fifth place and fighting for a Champions League spot over there. Uh, We did kind of go through some of their players, I think, a couple of episodes ago when we first drew them. But, uh, I mean, yeah, their main kind of danger man is Borja Iglesias. He was there. I remember when it was going to the World Cup, everybody was a bit surprised that he didn't end up in the Spanish squad because he's the highest scoring Spanish player in the league last season. But uh, he didn't end up getting picked. But, yeah, he is their kind of danger man. And then they've also got Iose Perez that we know from the Premier League and a couple of others, Nabil Fakir. Uh, so, yeah, they were not going to be a pushover, even though on paper, obviously, it's an easier game than Barcelona, who we've already yeah. beat. Um, but yeah, it doesn't always work out like that. And, you know, obviously we lost to Real Sociedad earlier in the season, which is why we ended up with that Barcelona game in the first place. But I think I was kind of not that bothered about this tie until we've lost to Liverpool, because you after that, we need to come back with a good result. Mm. So it does take a bit more importance because of that result. Yeah. Um, I would, though, like to see at least a bit of rotation. Uh, like you say, some people definitely need rests. And then, yeah, Southampton, who are also on their third manager of the season. So, yeah, looking for another new manager bounce and yeah. had a good result, one on the weekend. You know, all these relegated teams are kind of fighting for their lives. And it's that kind of part of the season where you actually more want to play a kind of mid-table nobody yeah. team. Yeah. Rather, you don't want to play those fighting at the bottom. And obviously, the games at the top are difficult. Um, but, yeah, they are now all of a sudden. They pulled out a result 1-0 on the weekend. So, yeah are playing better than they had done. So we shouldn't take anything like that for granted at all. Uh, But yeah, we do need to get that back on track and just totally be solid in top four. And then we can maybe think a bit more about going for one of these cups. 
Um, but yeah, look, I, as I said, finish off with some positive stuff. Let's talk about Manchester United women. Uh, it had been time and time again last season where things were looking really down. Or we said, look, let's take a bit of a focus on what are doing Man United mm. women because, yeah, things are a lot more positive. And Man, United, they... Man, United, Man United women are doing to other teams what Liverpool did to us. Yeah, well, even yeah, more than that. I mean, they went uh, three points clear at the top of the mm. Women's Super League on the weekend with a 5-1 win over Leicester. I mean, Leicester are bottom of the league. So, yeah, yeah. The win was kind of expected. But, yeah, Alessia Russo got her first ever WSL hat-trick and it was one of those perfect hat-tricks, one with her left, one with her right and one with her head. Um, and, yeah, as I say, we're now three points clear there, but Chelsea do two have games two hands. games in yeah. hand on us. And on Sunday, it is... We do go away to Chelsea. So that is absolutely a six-pointer. If we can even avoid defeat, I mean, a draw will be a good result for us in that game. It's Chelsea who are the ones who are looking to make up ground. I mean, they are the kind of WSL juggernaut. They are the stronger team, although they lost their kind of League Cup final to Arsenal on the weekend. Um, So, yeah, not in the best of form themselves. But yeah, Sunday, Man United women, it's one to watch. I think it's a 12.30 kickoff on Sunday. But yeah, nobody was thinking that Man United women had any chance of winning the league this season. They've never even finished top three. They've never even been in the Champions League. So really, everybody's kind of aim pre-season was just saying, let's get top three. First time we'll be in the Champions League and kind of build from there. So they're also way ahead of kind of expectations at the moment. Um And yeah, I was saying, you know, I'm no expert on the kind of women's team. I've taken more interest in it over the last couple of seasons, uh, partly because my daughter has started playing football. So I kind of thought, you know, it's an extra kind of thing. And obviously the women's game is getting a lot more press. And now, yeah, our game was on BBC Two on the weekend, for example. So, yeah, it's nice to be able to watch a game on terrestrial TV. But yeah, look, they're really in the mix. We can really start talking about them having a potential chance of winning the league that would be absolutely massive. there is players like Alicia Russo. Mary Earps recently won the best goalkeeper mm-hmm. in the World Award. Uh, as well, also Onya Bajia, who's the kind of uh, Spanish right-back. They're all actually out of contract this summer. <clears throat> and I think they're all kind of waiting to see what yeah. our team can do. And if we can prove to them that we are a club where they can win trophies, because we haven't been. Manchester United women have never won anything. As I said, have never even been in the Champions League, which is the top three spots. So, yeah, I'm hoping these players are just waiting for that. And as long as we do something, get them re-signed and uh, look to be going forward from there. There's one uh, there's a stat. I saw it just highlights, um, but I did see a, a stat that you will just love from the Leicester game, which was that we had 70% possession, 554 passes, of which 85% were accurate as a team. Obviously, Leicester, bottom of the league, you know, there is a bit more of a disparity, obviously, in the women's game from top to bottom. But I mean, you must love that passing stat, Nick. That's one that would just get you real yeah, excited. Abs- oh, yeah, absolutely. And there was some <clears throat> beautiful plays in there for uh, one of the goals. Ella Toon puts in an absolute great ball in uh, to Onya Baggio, puts in a nice cross, and that was the headed goal for, Ella, uh, for Alicia Russo. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they can really finish strong, and also hopefully the club can back them possibly with some uh, decisions that they have to make um, to send the right message to the women's team. Also, um, I would say. 
No, definitely. And uh, there has been a lot of change, you know, for the first time, the women's team now have their own kind of director of football. So they are kind of taking it more seriously, whereas before it felt a bit more just like a bit of an afterthought. Mm. And, you know, we had at the end of the transfer window, Arsenal made this kind of world record bid for Alessia Russo. But yeah, thankfully, we didn't even entertain that. Um, But yeah, at the moment, we're focused on just seeing out this season doing the best bare minimum obviously finishing those Champions Top League three. places yeah. but yeah I see no reason now at this point this result against Chelsea if we can avoid defeat in that game then yeah you have to say that we're definitely in the mix for actually winning the WSL that'll yeah, be way ahead it? of expectations eight, eight games left and Arsenal are like 10 yeah. points off and fourth so you would think top three is 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 looking very good and it could be a whole lot better it is looking very good. There's still Arsenal and Chelsea have a couple of games in hand. So if they yeah, both win those, so then yeah, it's all yeah, very yeah. close. Manchester City are in the mix. I mean, there's basically four teams and then there's a big gap to everybody yeah. after that. And we only just missed out last season on third in like kind of the last two weeks of the season and ended up fourth. That was kind of disappointing in the end. But yeah, we kind of lacked that bit of extra in those big games. I think when we played the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal last season, we were losing those games. Whereas this season, we have beaten Arsenal. We lost to Chelsea women earlier in the season. So yeah, this will be a big test to see that we've kind of progressed from that and can go like toe-to-toe with who are uh, technically and on paper the best team still in the Women's Super League. So yeah, on Sunday, that is a big one to watch over there. Uh, But yeah, as I say, look, this podcast... I, I was kind of didn't even want to do it but in the end you know it is kind of therapeutic and we often do get comments on red cafe you know lately we'd had a couple of comments in the threads on red cafe saying yeah look it's all nice this positivity but I do miss yeah. the old group yeah. therapy sessions when we exactly. were falling but apart but then they'll be raging season. they'll be raging oh Colin came on and said it's fine we got beat 7-0 by Liverpool do you know what I mean so that's not what that's not even what the people want you know they want uh, they want fireworks but do you know Ten Hag you know you gotta trust there's there's we're only on the up here yeah, and as I say, on the next podcast, after we've played a couple more matches, I guess we will really yeah. be able okay. to say when what get, that Liverpool... When we, get, when we draw a bet, I think it's beat off Southampton, it, it will be absolutely what everyone wants, so just wait. Exactly, we'll be talking about false dawns, and uh, we've been here yeah. before, but... Is this no, all in disguise? Not gonna, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to go like that. Ten Hag no. is a different animal, and he's already totally. proved it on more than one occasion. Uh, but yeah, we will come back after that Southampton game. Hopefully, it's been two wins that we're talking about, and we can firmly put that Liverpool defeat in a uh, in the history Maybe books. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, then, yeah, a good night from us for this week. Good to have you back on it, Calm. Are you going to be back on regular rotation with us? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have internet and the new gaff from tomorrow, so we'll be, uh, be like a new man on the podcast. Great, great. All right, good night to everybody there, and uh, see you on the next one. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to United Hour. Remember to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at United underscore Hour. Please take the time to leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. United Hour is brought to you by the Sports Social Network and our theme song is by Ancient Feelings. To get in touch, please email unitedhour at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, 
Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.